everybody, this is Brady Dale, and uh, I am here with Lightning Talks, the uh, Twitter spaces and podcast where we try to give listeners these light bulb moments uh, in uh, so they can better understand, you know, uh, the nuances of crypto, the things that make the ideas here powerful. I like to start these off with a little bit of an idea, so I'm going to go ahead and do that. I did have a emotion I wanted to talk about this time, one that I think is kind of interesting and uh, notable in the crypto space, and that's the idea of loyalty. Um, you know, I was writing about how someone uses a protocol like MakerDAO uh, to 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 increase their holdings in something that they want. You know, the easiest example is ETH. You know, MakerDAO started uh, as a way that people could uh, stake their ETH and then create DAI to borrow against it, right? And uh, now you can stake lots of things on MakerDAO, but it, it did start with DAI. I mean, it started with ETH. And, you know, a lot of people were using it to borrow the DAI and then make trades that would profit, and then they could... Um, sell whatever they had made profit on uh, for the die they needed and, and then often turn the rest into ETH. So it was, a, it was a way to increase your ETH holdings. And one of the things that, you know, hit me uh, as I was writing this is, you know, obviously a person could just sell a bit of their ETH for whatever they thought was going to go up. You know, maybe it was BAT. And then if it did, um, they would be able to uh, trade that for more ETH at the end. Now, of course, one of the reasons you don't want to do that is because it just creates this risk. The price of ETH goes up. So you, even if you make a profit on the BAT, you're not going to be able to buy back as much ETH as you had before. But I also can't help but think that as folks think about making trades like that, one of their issues is that they also feel disloyal to this fundamental token uh, that they've kind of committed to, that they feel like they're a part of the team of. And I think, you know, it's understandable. It's uh but it's one of those funny nuances of, of the crypto universe that I don't know that we think as openly about as we should. There's this idea that you're loyal to these um, digital objects that, uh, you know, that represent a sort of uh, team membership for you. So, uh, yeah, loyalty to me is kind of a funny and powerful emotion in this space and one that isn't articulated as much as it could be. And, you know, um, we're going to talk here in a second uh, with Julia Rosenberg of, uh, of Orca protocol. And I told her I was going to do one of these little babble sessions beforehand and they don't ever normally really relate to what we're talking about. But as I'm saying this out loud, I feel like maybe there are some themes that will come back to it, uh, that, are, that relate to some of the things I know that Julia is working on. So, uh, uh, so yeah, let me go ahead and bring Julia in here. I'll, I'll introduce her a little bit first. Um, so she's a co-founder of the Orca protocol. I just, um, listened to a podcast that she was on where she talked about kind of the origin story here. We'll unpack, unpack some of that with her, but, um, you know, she has a technical co-founder too, who's helping her put it all together. She's worked in investing and she's worked in some other um, kind of alternative uh, alternative uh, resource spaces, um, but she's interested in how uh, communities um, can, can have more impact over time. And obviously one of the areas in which community is kind of the most interesting and the most powerful is, is here in crypto. So that's as, as much as I want to tell her story for her. We'll, we'll let her do the next, do the rest of it. Um, just as a quick reminder to folks before I, as I, as I start to bring Julia up, um, you know, I am recording this as I, uh, as I do now, it's a part of the space cast podcast network. So that should go up tomorrow. So, you know, we will uh, let folks come up and ask questions in a little bit or make comments, whatever, join the conversation. Um, 
just keep in mind you are being recorded if, if you do that. So, um, you know, and that'll go on the podcast later. So, uh, but you know, we'd love to have you join us. Um, okay. So let's bring Julia on now. I'm going to warn you, Julia, so you're listening. This is probably going to be a little bit weird. It always takes a second for it to work. So, uh, don't expect it to kick right in, but I have added you. Hey. Hey, welcome. How's it going? Thanks so much for having me. It's, uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for agreeing to do this and, uh, and for being here. Um, how are you tonight? I'm so excited. I've loved all the build-up to this. The oh, yeah. hurting the cats meme of my Twitter spaces, I am thrilled about. <laughs> all right, cool. Well, fantastic. I'm glad that worked. You know, I wasn't really sure if when I picked that, if it would really be a true metaphor, but I figured, you know, whatever, even if it wasn't, that would be a topic to talk, talk about. So I'm glad you dug it, though. Um, so, okay. Oh, no, it resonated very well with me. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, so I want to get into the specifics of um, of Orca and kind of your backstory and stuff, but I figured let's start in a, a sort of more random space. You know, I was going through the Orca tweets today, and I, I just shared this one up here. Uh, that you post, or uh, someone, someone from your team posted on the Orca on the Orca channel, uh, and it's sort of an image of like Atlas with the Discord symbol as his face, and it says uh, decentralized governance. So you know, this one really struck me because I've got to be honest, Julia. Like, uh, I hate Discord so much. Like, it's like my least favorite part of this job when I need to like go dig into Discord servers to figure something out. Um, to, you know, sell me on Discord. What am I missing? Why? Why is this a really a great uh, place to hang out? I honestly don't know if I'm the person to sell Discord. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, so John, my co-founder, is the meme master. So that was his meme. Um, I think it was more of like a joke that a a lot of like the DAOs that we see today is just like in all of the activity that happens there is happening on Discord. Um, which I don't really think we give enough credit to and like a lot of the participation and, you know, all of this like soft coordination and amazing engagement that like we talk about in this theoretical sense is actually just like a bunch of people in a discord, like, totally. <laughs> you know, do it like adding emojis to comments, like just like randomly jamming. Um, it's so impenetrable, especially if you're not in it all the time. If you just like know something is going on and you're trying to like come in and figure it out, which is always why I'm there. I, you know, I'm not in any of them constantly. And it's just like, I'm just like, Oh my God, none of this makes any sense. I'm dying. Yeah. But also like, it totally makes sense that you secretly hate it because it's like, and I mean, this is a big part of like our origin story is just kind of like thinking about these spaces and like the more people you add to these groups, whether it be like a discord group or a decentralized organization, the more like, fractionalized and diluted and noisy it, be, it can become like we've all joined a discord with the hope and promise of like revolutionary connection that like all this amazing engagement is going to happen and we're going to like really figure out how we can like help this decentralized organization um and that's not often the case um brian flynn has made many great tweets about this of like you know, Linda shows up to the Discord and she's like, how can I help? And people send a list of things that she can do. And then three weeks later, how can I help? And it's like this repetitive cycle of um, things just getting kind of like lost in the void within these soft coordination tools. Yeah, totally. Um, 
Yeah, well, there, there's a ton I could say jumping off of that. But, you know, you were kind of hinting to this here. And, and I, the podcast I listened to you on just before this was on the Armada Dow. And that was an interesting conversation that gave me a lot of food for thought. Um, but you and you just sort of hinted to this now. And this is going to be my first question anyway. Every startup, you know, they have an origin story. They have a problem they think they can solve. Um, maybe you could give us, you know, you guys' version of that, of that origin story. Yeah, so I think, again, it really ties back to, like, the ideology that John and I came to Orca is really just how people organize. Um, I spent some time in consumer social, John spent some time um, in sort of like enterprise institutions. And we both were very frustrated with kind of the systems that we were seeing. Um, in consumer social, I became frustrated with this Discord problem I just kind of explained, obviously in a much larger way uh, beyond just Discord of like, you know, as these communities grow, the more fractionalized and diluted that they become. And it's really hard to capture value there. But that's really like the main driving mechanism in Web2 platforms. It's like really the only growth directory available is the game of the masses. So communities are just constantly pushed in that direction when it's not necessarily like the most sustainable path for them. Yeah, my, um, my funny recent example of this is uh, I'm not a big Reddit guy, but I am semi-regular in a Reddit that I, I won't tell you what it is, but, uh, you know, it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a snarky space and they recently, um, sort of cleaved off a like private version. And it was just because they're like, it's, it's based on a podcast and the podcast has gotten too popular and they're like the main discord sucks now. Like, you know, it's the only, of course. Like, you know, it's just like, that's, a, that's always what happens. Right. Right. Yeah. So, uh, and then it's like one day they will create a, a private group of the private group right, and it will right. continue to like Russian doll. Mm-hmm. It's probably um, already happened. Yeah. Maybe you're just not invited. Yeah. I probably am not. Yeah. <laughs> I was excited. I got excited. I'm new to this whole world. I was just like, yes, I got into the private group. Amazing. Um, <laughs> no, that's like a, a huge bump. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like that's the exact problem that I just kept getting stuck on. So, um, I sort of talked with John about this and John had similar frustrations being in kind of like the corporate, uh, you know, world and seeing the failures, like the governance failures that happen there too. Kind of the more people you add to a project, the more clunky and inefficient it can become. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so it's really like, if you just look at it from like a human next to human perspective, it's like the same thing happening and just like as we add more people, we like slowly degrade our ability for self-organization and like effective communication and coordination. Um, so that was like the big problem statement that we were kind of faced with when we like kind of started working on Orca. There was, um, you know, my background, uh, this is a little random, but before I was a journalist, I was, uh, you know, a community organizer in a, in a variety of, of settings. And I, and I liked this uh, other meme that's here that, you know, the, the superhero, the like, uh, I posted at the top, it's like organized or decentralized. And, you know, I was always a big proponent when I was organizing these, you know, analog in human groups, people would get frustrated as they kind of started to have some success that there would always just be like certain things that would be surprises and there would just be chaos. And I was just always of the mindset that like, look, we just, like, we want to grow. We just have to accept the chaos. But that was very hard for a lot yeah. of people to accept. I was just like, look, just, you know, there will be randomness. 
oh well, totally. you know, but that was hard for folks. Um, and now you do it on the internet and, and you don't even have like human relationships controlling it and it gets even crazier. Totally. And I think it's like, that's just a natural progression of everything. Like obviously as a business scales, it needs more people to answer phones and create new initiatives. And like, it will know, it will not always be that like perfect, you know, core group of 10 people, like scaling is a necessary part of it, whether it be in communities, corporations or whatever. Um, it's just like making sure that we have the right rails for collaboration and communication that I think is so important. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really dug it when you talked about that and, and are talking about it now, this whole, this whole idea that things can get too big to be good and yet they, but mm. they, but they are sometimes they're still, they're too big to be good anymore, but they are big enough to still be profitable, which is this weird, um, it's weird catch me too. It's like they, they are making money, but no one actually likes them. I feel like a lot of people feel this way about Twitter right now, to be honest. It's yeah. just like, you know, it's too big, but we're all kind of stuck in it. But we don't actually like it anymore. I don't know. Um, totally. so I don't want you to talk outside of school. Um, you know, I saw you guys haven't put a ton of materials out yet. I have a feeling you're probably <laughs> waiting for like, you know, a big reveal at some kind, but you've said some things about it. So could you talk a little bit about kind of what your insight is at this point and kind of whatever you can say about how you guys plan to help DAOs, uh, you know, thread this needle? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it kind of ties back to this other meme you just said, um, I always joke that um, currently DAOs are either organized or decentralized. They mm -hmm. can't be both at the same time. Mm -hmm. So we sort of have like two like organizations on like the DAO spectrum. We have the uber decentralized and as a result can be very disorganized. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have the uber organized, but as a result, they can be fairly organized um, DAOs. So what we're building, we see fitting somewhere in between. So a key part of what we're building for Orca are what we call pods, like a pod of whales, whole mm -hmm. nautical theme there. Yeah. Um, and basically um, what pods are is just like small working groups to build governance around people based on their expertise. So that's just like the ideological framework of it, not the technical framework. But um, when we think about this like spectrum of DAOs from the uber decentralized to the uber organized um both of these types of organizations really need this like kind of in-between model the extremely decentralized organizations but fairly disorganized need some like basic organizational infrastructure to better kind of like harden some of the roles and responsibilities within their organization mm -hmm. and really create those sort of like silos for things to function a little bit more effectively um and then on the other side of the spectrum, the sort of centralized uh, and organized DAOs, um, they need to start expanding their organi organization out. So, um, but that can be like a scary thing too. You know, like as you expand outwards, you're starting to give up like ownership, control, power. Um, and we don't really have tools right now to do that um, in like an accountable way. So, a big part of pods is that we're creating this sort of permissions layer for additional accountability and checks and balances systems to be put in place. So that these working groups that are within these um, DAO ecosystems are actually held accountable for their actions. Um, and you can sort of layer these pods together to build out a larger organizational scheme or just kind of like 
you know, carve out specific roles or silos within an organization that need some more like high touch, uh, organization. And are, is this a, are these tokenized? I mean, like, are these pods, like, do you receive, you know, a certain pod token to sort of indicate that you get to be a member of it? Uh, when, like, is that, is that how? That's a, that's a great question. So the way the like two second technical pitch that we like to think of a pod is a multi-sig with conditional memberships. Okay. So memberships are actually represented through an NFT. Um, and the analogy we sort of like to use is that traditional multi-sigs are like a lock and key to your house. Mm-hmm. And in order to change the key, you should change the entire lock system. It's this very hard-coded thing. Whereas um, what we're building with Orca we see more of like a key card system. So your pod membership NFT is your key card and sort of like the business logic on the back end of the door, which decides whether to let you in or not are the pod member requirements. So those are custom rules that can be set by the pod or delegated to another pod or another governance system. And I, um, you guys are using 1150 ERC 1155 for that, right? Yes, we are. Um, I saw that. That was that's interesting. What is it that 1155 gets you that uh, 721 doesn't? This is deep. sorry. Let me just back up really quickly, just in case people who are not deep in here uh, <laughs> know what we're talking about. But just like <laughs> the original standard for NFTs, everyone's heard this whole NFT concept tossed around recently. Was this ERC 721? And then I know. 1155 came along later and that allowed for a little bit more of a mix of fungibility and non-fungibility in ways that I I've understood at times, but can never remember after I've, you know, not read about it for like a week or so. Um, but do you, do you have a handle on what, sort of what 1155 offered that, uh, is why you guys chose it? Yeah. So an ERC 1155 NFT is a, um, fungible, non-fungible token. So it is a, um, non-transferable NFT. So, I mean, it's a transferable, non-transferable NFT. So basically someone couldn't, um, like, let's say I'm a, a member of a pod. I wouldn't be able to go sell my NFT, mm-hmm. um, you know, on my own and okay. basically like sell access to this pod. Right. But the pod as a collective can transfer ownership, um, of this NFT. So the smart contract controls where it lives not the uh, yes. yeah okay okay cool exactly yeah i mean it makes sense why that would that would be useful for you guys's structure whereas 721 i think just kind of can bounce around to however anybody wants to bounce it around right okay cool um great yeah. okay so so you guys are kind of uh the idea of orca is kind of um creating a technical infrastructure for sort of like subcommittees and stuff right i mean is that sort of a simple way of saying it yeah exactly Okay, cool. Um, and I mean, are there additional, and it's still kind of like voting and that kind of thing within those subcommittees. I assume that's all kind of flexible or, or, or what's the, what's the idea there? Yeah. So we have like very, un- so I guess like as an overview too, um, what we're building and like our goal with Orca is to create like very unopinionated governance primitive. In okay. Space. So we really want to make sure that we're um, like staying very far away from like kind of the uh, traditional DAO implementations and creating sort of these opinionated end-to-end stacks. So the pod itself is extremely flexible and modular. So I can throw out 
like a bunch of examples of how a pod could be implemented and different structures that could be set up, but they're really just examples and they're not at all required of an organization um, that would use a pod-like system. So you sort of um, brought up like a subcommittee system and I think that um, is definitely something we're work working towards. Um, I always use urine as an example because um, Chaki Pterix and Gabe Shapiro wrote an amazing, amazing proposal on urine governance 2.0 mm -hmm. sort of reorg. Um, and what they proposed with that is basically breaking up the urine ecosystem into what they're calling Y teams. Um, so very similar to kind of what I already described with pods is that they identified like certain responsibilities within an org that they felt needed more like high touch, um, you know, decision making. Mm -hmm. So they have Y team, like the budget Y team, the ops Y team, the dev Y team, all of these things. Um, so that basically they could use a pod like system for that. Um, and in that they would be able to delegate, you know, the rule making of abilities, rule making abilities of a pod to, um, let's say their, you know, main multi-sig or to the community at large so that the community could vote on who's actually elected and held responsible for, um, the actions taking place on each of these committees. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, and I feel like this speaks to, you know, a theme that we've seen with DAOs over the last, like, I guess it's been, a, well, it's been really less than a year that, like, DAOs have been super hot. I feel like I did a story about this time last year with uh, Ryan Zur, uh, who used to be with um, Polychain and kind of went off on his own. And um, he did this, he was at, like, one of the big ETH conferences and, and talked about launching a, a, a new big DAO. And I don't know if that really happens, but I think he was a part of a ton of conversations with folks who were talking about bringing the DAO idea back. And it wasn't too long after that that, like, yeah, it was ETH Denver. It was ETH Denver 2020. Oh, it's been longer than a year. Sorry, this is more like a year and a half ago. Um, yeah, it was... It Time was, Yeah, I know, it does, especially <laughs> when there is a pandemic and you're inside for a year. Um, but no, it was, it was ETH Denver when, you know, our old reporter, Will Foxley, did a story about how, like, DAOs are the hot topic at ETH Denver last year, right? And so, mm. yeah, it was kind of in 2020 that a lot of that was happening. But, but a sub-theme that we saw, or a conversation we were hearing a lot in that subsequent year was that like DAOs are cool and kind of everyone was moving to them really fast. Even, even, even startups that really hadn't organized themselves with a DAO framework initially were kind of shifting to that direction um, mm -hmm. in 2020 and, and early 2021. 
But, um, but no one was like the communities were kind of into it, but they also, they totally weren't voting. I and mean, this is always been a problem with MakerDAO, which is sort of, sort of one of the pioneers here is that like, mm. just doesn't have a ton of voter participation. Um, and so it's interesting. I feel like what you're talking about kind of speaks to the fact that like, maybe regular people don't have to be a part of every single decision in the world and and more of that stuff can be delegated out. But I think it was hard for a lot of these DAOs, which had this like super direct democracy mindset initially to sort of accept that idea. But I guess yeah. you know, the fa- but that's moving, I suppose. I don't, I don't know if you could talk some more about how you've seen that conversation take shape. I, I haven't been as directly involved as maybe you have. Yeah. No, I think that's a great question. And I think that is the ideal that we've all been striving towards for a while. Um, but I feel like a big thing missing in that is just like, and I, I, I feel like this might just be like a general, uh, kind of like miss theory that the way about like the way we think about humans in the space, like we under this like veil that like, you know, the communities, it's going to be like this direct democracy and, you know, everyone's going to be really engaged and it's going to be like this well-oiled machine. Um, we're not really taking into account like how people act and like people are flawed or rational actors, um, that, you know, they all have different incentives of why they're showing up and why they want to be participating. And like, it's just a very um, big ask to think that, you know, all of these actors that don't really have like any glue holding them together other than like a shared token will immediately start like working in the same direction. Um, and I think that's kind of been like proven out over the last year um, with like, you know, very low engagement and participation and a lot of governance proposals. And I think, a lot of it is that people maybe don't care. Um, people also maybe just don't like have the information available to be informed participants. Um, and I think a lot of tools are being built to help that data aggregation, like Tally and Boardroom. Um, we're doing amazing work, um, but it's really hard to ask to, you know, ask people to be engaged um, at, in that way and like for what really like what is the benefit to them as an individual which is like you know maybe not (laughs) maybe that's a hot take but like that's how people think a lot of the times you know like they think about like what is the value add to me by contributing um obviously if you look at it like the long term hopefully that they are moving the protocol in the right direction and they can benefit from it benefit from that financially but like um, in terms of like short-term game, there's not really like a big value out there for them. Well, and there's like really depressing stories in the space. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I think this, you know, who benefits question is a really important one and, and folks shouldn't shy away from it. You know, yeah. the thing that I'm kind of known for writing a lot about is the story of EOS. I don't know how much you followed EOS, but like, just to give you the real quick version is, you know, EOS launches in like 2018 and, um, and all these, you know, really well-minded entrepreneurs come together to get the thing off the ground. That was this whole crazy process. It was fine. It felt like it took forever at the time, but, you know, looking back on it, it wasn't that long, but it was this whole really involved process because EOS wouldn't kick in until like 15% of all tokens had voted for it to kick in, you know? And that mm-hmm. took, that took a long time for that to happen. But what was kind of depressing is all these people who'd done all the work to get it off the ground, you know? they had this really high-minded idea that like them doing all that work and doing a good job getting it going and, you know, running these things on really good servers and stuff like that 
and that people would be impressed by that, and then they would get one of the block producer roles, and then their plan was to like drive most of the, you know, you get a lot of money being a block producer, and they would put most of that money into development and creating like apps and other startups and stuff that would run on EOS, giving it a stronger economy. But like what ended up happening was, you know, they got it off the ground, and almost immediately the big bag holders, you know, they hadn't done anything to get it going, but they just came in rolled up and like you know voted themselves in to be block producers and then told everyone else that if you vote for us uh we'll just give you a cut of our earnings in, in fresh eos tokens and that was a much more immediate benefit for people and so that's what everybody did and all these folks who spent all this time Ugh. getting the thing rolling were just steamrolled you know um and it was so sad and it was just this you know short-term benefit over long-term benefit so uh yeah, yeah totally totally was so you yeah. just folks have to be honest about that stuff Totally. And I think like, that's a big part of it too, is like, we have to like formalize some of these contributions to the space. Like just having these like really benevolent actors, like contributing their time and energy and all of these things without like any sort of like formalization of what that role is within the organization or any like direct compensation is like a a tragic event. Like that's something that I think massively needs to be worked on in the space, especially when we just think about like the future of work. And I know that's like a really big topic um, that's kind of like escalating as DAOs heat up is like that we can change how people contribute to projects and organizations as a result of these DAO frameworks. Is is compensation a part of the ORCA protocol plan? So we're not building anything directly tied to it, but I think the way that we think of it is, you know, you being part of a pod of, you know, maybe eight other people, you have a very clear idea of like who is participating and how they should be compensated. Whereas I think that question is much more difficult when you are a part of thousands of people. Um, And I think we've seen like some early implementations of like merit-based compensation tools like Coordinate, um, which is amazing, but I still think it can fall into sort of like the noisy discord category of, Uh you know, are we just compensating the people's names that we see most because I'm not as active of a contributor that I want to be? Um, Or am I actually identifying the people that I think are providing the most value to the space? So I think it's just more of like, we're again, still just providing the framework for, um, you know, people to see and compensate and understand their contributions to the space a little bit better in these smaller working groups. Do you want to, um, I, I just listened to a podcast today on Coordinate and it kind of sort of blew my mind. I mean, like you, I could also see some ways that it could go wrong, but it's still, it's a powerful idea. Do you, do you want to kind of describe kind of what the idea is there? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's a really powerful tool and I'm really excited about it. Um, but basically, the idea is it's um, like you as part of the ecosystem, you have some sort, again, I don't know the technical details for it, I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing here, but you have some sort of like voting power in how you can distribute um, kind of like compensation or rewards that you see necessary within the ecosystem of contributors. So you're sort of like given an allocation that you're supposed to divvy up among contributors. Um, and it's really kind of like this, shared ecosystem compensation strategy. So there's no like one person deciding who is, um, you know, how everyone's getting paid. It's like a group consensus. Yeah. And the thing that I thought was neat when I was listening to, um, 
to it was tracheoterics and probably that guy you said before I, I can't remember but another fellow okay. from, from the urine world yeah probably I can't remember he, whoever like was had the core idea of coordinate but the thing I thought was cool that they said in it is you know it's they were like it's a little hard to get this through to people but like we tell them, you know, everybody gets a certain number of votes every month, you know, to, mm-hmm. to give to people. But we tell everyone, just vote the chunk of urine that you know. You know, if you're if you're in the yes. communications team, just vote entirely on communications people. It's okay if everyone does that; it'll all work out. And they and they and they're like, and we find that that is kind of the case. It's like if if there's a lot of people involved in a lot of things, if you just vote the chunk of the ecosystem that you know, you don't try to like think of the entire world it does kind of all work out. And I was like, huh, that is a pretty compelling idea, you know? Um, totally. Yeah. And I mean, th- that's why, like, I love the urine team and like track so much and that they're actually encouraging that, like only participate, you know, like part of your total potential engagement. And like, what if we applied that to governance too, of like only participate like where you feel like you have the expertise to actually engage in this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. And so this kind of speaks to something that you said on the Armada Dow podcast that I was hoping you could unpack a little bit more, but, um, and you've sort of hinted to it a couple of times here too, but you said you were hoping and, and just correct me if I mischaracterized what you were saying too. So, mm-hmm. you know, but you, you were hoping that like, as things evolve, you feel like there's this sort of traditional Dow prescriptive Dow approach, which I, I think what you meant by that was sort of like just straight direct democracy. Everybody's involved with everything. I'm, I'm not sure. So tell me if I'm wrong to, to moving to sort of a, a more tool-based approach where there's going to be sort of a, a Dow stack, a governance stack, which I, I assume you guys would like to be a, a big part of. But, um, but w- could you say a little bit more about what you mean by sort of the prescriptive Dow, the traditional Dow, and then kind of give a few more examples of what some of that, that stack might be? Yeah. So I think I mean more of like some of the kind of like traditional legacy Dow implementations that mm-hmm. we've seen. I think that a lot of organizations right now, and like, I think that's a big part of like the, the, the Dow narrative picking up is like a lot of these Dows are reaching pain points. Um, but I think what's kind of been happening is that organizations have felt that they need to mold to the structures available to them rather than the structures meeting the needs of the organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sort of referring to some of like the end-to-end solutions that, you know, end up building like very prescriptive governance models of like how things should happen. Like the idea with some of these is that, you know, it's a um, solution that you just plug into. It's all, it's already built for you. It's so easy but at the end of the day, that doesn't work for all organizations. So you mean um, kind of like the kind model. of things where it's like decisions are always like it's a proposal that goes up in front of everybody. People like vote their tokens and then in the proposal is decided. Is that the sort of kind of structure you're talking about? Um, yes, but I think more specifically, probably like the technical tooling of the stack, um, kind of like the frameworks that people are attached to without being able to introduce different tools into different elements of the stack. Okay. Um, and so, and you just feel like what needs to happen is that there just needs to be a lot more tools and a lot more options so that people don't have to create organizations which fit what's technically available. Yeah. Yes. I would say that summarizes it well. Okay. Um, that's definitely just like, I think how the DAO stock is growing and like we've seen this, a lot with projects, um, with so many projects coming up and really focusing on like very specific parts of the stack. So like 
for example, syndicate is really focused on like the kind of like regulatory and legal implications of having a, um, you know, DAO fund on chain and like how they can solve that specific element of the stack, not create the full end to end solution for, uh, you know, these DAO funds. Like they have definitely identified the need to introduce other tooling into um, these mechanisms that they're building. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, I think like Coordinate is another great example of that. Like they are focused on a very, very specific part of the stack of like just the compensation element, not tying it into all of these other parts of governance um, kind of like formats. Mm -hmm. Does that make a little more sense? Yeah, no, totally. So, and it also makes, there's a couple of questions I meant to ask you earlier that I'm just going to shift back to here. Sorry if it's, this is a weird order, but no, I, no. I was curious, you know, I, and I sort of spoke to this a second ago, but what's your take on why everyone's moving to DAOs um, so quickly, right? You know, in the, in the last year, like why, why are, why are DAOs taking off in such a big way? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I think people are really attracted to what the DAO framework can potentially enable and having this open, um, I don't know, I think, A, if you just like look at what the alternative is, which is like spinning up a legal corporation and creating uh, you know, this very formal agreement, that's like a very daunting task. Um, so even like very light ideas of like, Hey, my friends and I just like want to buy NFTs together, like super casual creating like a legal entity for that is like a very big ask. So I think people have a been attracted to it and just like the ease of it and, um, kind of like the flexibility and simplicity around like a DAO framework that it doesn't have to be like this extremely uh, kind of like thought out centralized heavy lift thing that it can be um, there's much like easier tools available. I think those tools are still developing. So I don't actually think it's that easy for people to spin up the DAO yet, but I think that might just be like the theory of why people are really attracted to um as a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. There's something there's something kind of wildly punk rock about the whole Dow thing. I mean, if I'm not, I, I could be wrong about this and I could see them not wanting to be super open about it. But I, I think I'm right in saying that like, as far as the governments of the world co are concerned, like yearn doesn't exist. Like, I, I don't think it has any legal no, existence. And, okay, yeah. Right. Which is like wild when you think of the fact yeah. that it's got like $5 billion under management. It makes, you know, it made $5 million last quarter. It's probably already beat that this quarter. Um, you know, it's a, it's a big operation. A lot of people make their entire living off of it. Um, mm -hmm. and very nice livings, I, th I think. And, <laughs> and, uh, and it doesn't exist in the eyes of the law. I mean, that's just nuts. You know, I don't mean nuts in a bad way. It's just like, yeah, it's mind blowing. Well, that's another big reason why people decentralize and, um, spin up DAOs is, and I don't think a lot of like 
the current wave of some of these more like social DAOs understand is like a big reason why these big organizations decentralize is actually decentralizing um, risk and you know legal risk and that's like a big big part of it mm-hmm. yeah I mean that is kind of what I think has been the, in all honesty the big driver of DAOs is just that um, folks have realized uh, they're hard to go after. Um, and so that's helpful for this. Really? You think that's the like biggest driving force? I do, but I, I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, I'm not building DAOs, you know, (laughs) so I don't know, but that, that is sort of what I think it is. You know, it's, it's this progressive decentralization thing has become an idea that folks have believed is a path to their protocol existing. And so they're like, yeah, let's progressively decentralize. We can probably still do fine if we do that. So that's sort of what I think it is, but I'm... No, I completely agree for, like, the protocols that are wanting to decentralize and, like, rapidly move towards that. I completely agree. I think that... I do think, though, like, a big part of this wave of DAOs has... There's been, like, a big social element to it. Like, the amount of requests I get every day of people wanting to, like, run by their DAO concept to me is, like, crazy of just, you know... Uh, like investing in NFTs to like social impact DAOs to like whatever it is. So I think that's more the wave that, that I was talking about. Okay. No. And I think there is a ton of that too, right? Like, I mean, what's the thing that um like Leighton and Mariana did the pleaser DAO, which is just kind of like, oh, yes. it's just like six Ethereum OGs buying NFTs, you know, and it's just their <laughs> way of doing it together, which is, it's so cool that they did that. So yeah, I know, I think it's going to, we're going to see a lot of um, other, applications of this of this approach open up and i think probably yeah yours and you're seeing it probably more directly all the time than i am but i but i guess i think sort of the big the big initial push that happened is it does relate to this legal thing but it's gonna it's gonna oh, do it's gonna yes, do a lot more absolutely. stuff and absolutely and do you but i think there's still also like a ton of issues there like something i talked about with projects is like even though let's say since you brought up like urine urine doesn't exist in the eyes of like the u.s government um you know they still need like bridges to like the centralized world like what happens when someone needs to create like an amazon web services account and like spin up servers like who has to put their name on that and Mm -hmm. you know there are still parts of that uh stack that i you know are still really complicated and it's it's not a um you know there's still legal risks for certain parts, um, for certain people in the organization, at least. Yeah. And what about, have, <laughs> I don't know how I thought about this. One of the first ones of these that we taped and we put up on SpaceCast was a conversation with UniWales. Are you familiar with UniWales? Do you know, do you know about no, that? No, I'm not. Yeah, it's pretty small. It's, um, but it, you know, it's cool. Um, UniWales is, is a little um, company that they basically built a bunch of bots that track what's happening on a bunch of the big automated market makers. And they spot like, big moves really fast and mm. they, they they post it in certain telegram channels and and those telegram channels are the, the most valuable of those telegram I and mean, this is all public information it's just that they've written good software to like spot things more quickly and for a certain kind of trader that's useful information and so that and so they've 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 gated those telegram channels with tokens so you can't get into them unless you have you know their their tokens you know um mm-hmm. and so and you need more tokens for certain of the most valuable ones, you know, to, to get in and, and et cetera. 
And so um, I, I don't know if you guys have encountered this. You know, they are a DAO, but like there is no tooling or sort of like voting mechanism to it. They're really kind of like a monarchy that's a DAO, which is like it was an interesting model interesting. when they talked about it. You know, they're just like, yeah, I mean, the two co-founders really run everything and they make all the decisions, but we float everything by our community and we just sort of like take their views on things, uh, but we're still at this point doing what we want. And I think they're going to open things up more and kind of become more like one thinks of a DAO, but they're also having a pretty good time and it's working pretty well to like really be very loose about what it means to be a DAO and the other community still yes. seems to be like, okay with it, you know, <laughs> um, you know, and they're, and they're not, they don't pretend like it's any other way either. They're just like, yeah. we, you know, we're benevolent dictators for now. That probably won't be forever, but we are for now. And, um, I don't know. Have you encountered that kind of approach before? Yes. I mean, I think in general, like the DAO definition has, or like what is considered a DAO has been stretched so far and wide especially in the last year so i don't really like whenever someone asks me like what is a dao i have a hard time answering that because like it's taken so many different shapes and forms in um you know the last bit of time and i think it's more of like what makes a dao is like the systems and toolings that they implement in order to um like truly decentralize their organization. So like, I think, I mean, I think it's really common to see like, you know, different shapes and sizes of like how these DAOs actually stack up. Um, I think it's very common. Mm -hmm. And do you, I mean, do you, uh, have any concern about that kind of approach? I mean, do you think that sort of like sets the stage for a community that won't be as strong later? Or do you think that kind of approach is totally fine? Um, I mean, again, I kind of think like going back to like the spectrum I sort of laid out at the beginning, I think that just sort, sort of falls under like an extremely organized, but fairly centralized DAO. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure they will have like implications of that, of like, you know, their community becoming frustrated that they don't actually get to participate in, um, the happenings of that organization or protocol. Um, but yeah, I'm sure like a big part of it is that these two co-founders like don't really understand or have the tools to give up power, ownership, control in the way that they probably want to. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's like a very scary thing giving up your baby like that, which I don't think people understand, like kind of like tightening the grips a little bit um, is like a very daunting, daunting task, especially when there's like not tools in place to like hold people accountable for you know, their actions that they're taking, that they're performing on behalf of the larger organization. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's so right. I mean, it is, it, well, and just in general, once people have authority, it just, it's really, it's really tough to give it up. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing we've, yeah. seen, we've seen, especially if a thing starts to matter and become, and become powerful and important, you know? Um, exactly. And also like to their point, it's like, if it's working, why, why change it right now? You know? I mean, obviously I can think of many reasons why I should change it, but like from their perspective, you know, it's working just fine. So Julia, when did you get into crypto? Like what's your, what's your arrival date in this space? So I've been following the space for a while, but I haven't been like actively building the space until Orca. Okay. So we started working on Orca, um, 
I would say in like November 2020. So uh, I've been actively building in the space since then, but um, I've been following and keeping up with projects for a few years now. Okay. Well, so I'm going to ask you a question that your answer is probably going to be, I don't know too. That's okay. Um, okay. This, um, this podcast has a sub quest to it that I just kicked off a few episodes ago. And so I've been asking this every time, both to the person who I'm talking to, but also to everyone who's listening because it's, it's my quest. So in, uh, in the 2017 ICO boom, there was, um, there was this one project that came out kind of, there was a satire of the whole boom and it was the useless mm-hmm. Ethereum token and the useless Ethereum token, you know, promised to take all the money given to it and just run away with it and do nothing with it. And that is what they did. Um, they raised about $65,000. I wrote a story about, well, be way more than that now. And, you know, but $65,000 worth of ETH at the time. Uh, I wrote a story about it at the time. I thought it was a funny story. It was it was a good story for me. And now I've decided that this is my fixation is I have to know who this guy was because he never he never told me. I interacted with him, but he never told me, never told anybody. Um, and the site is still up, but like, you know, you, the email doesn't work anymore and stuff like that. So do, do you know who the useless Ethereum token CEO is? I'm so sorry, Brady, but I don't. Dang. I really, really want to know for you just so you can, you know, sleep easy at night. But I don't have an answer for you. S- someday someone listening to this is going to know and they're going to give me yeah. a clue. They're gonna give I me actually clue. looked into it, too, because you asked this on the last po- yeah. podcast. <laughs> yeah. with, Good. And so I looked into it and I I came up dead end. I think he's still someone in this. Like, I think he's... Around. He could be listening right now. Well, right. And I, I think I also, I just have a feeling he is still in the space. Like he's, you know, he's probably like a developer at compound or something, you know, and just like, I don't know, whatever. He's like, I took a summer off. Um, but yeah, I, he's I think gonna come mess with you one day. He's around. I please, I would be amazing if he did that. Um, be so into that. So, um, okay, cool. I, it doesn't seem like anyone wants to come up right now. That's fine. Uh, just w- one last question, I guess then, um, could you could you tell us any more? We've talked about yearn a few times. Yearn is one of my favorite topics. Can you tell us any more about kind of? I don't know if you guys have done things directly with yearn or are working to get involved there. But any 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 insight you can give on that world is something I'm interested in, and I expect others would be too. Yeah. Um, so we're still pretty early in terms of like working together um, since we haven't launched our product yet, um, which is hopefully coming very, very soon. Um, but I've spoken quite a bit with track and I think there's like a lot of exciting synthesis with what they've done with Y teams. Um, but you know, even if we don't end up, they don't end up using pods to implement Y teams. I think it's just like amazing validation and track and I talk about it a lot that like we were separately working on these things for months and like this ideology and landed on like a very, very similar um, structure and like outline for how we see, you know, organizations successfully organizing themselves. Um, so I absolutely love the urine community and I think that they do amazing work. Um, and I'm really excited to see how this new structure plays out for them, which um, I already know it's going pretty well. And you said on the Armada podcast in April that you were looking at a summer of this year, mainnet launch. Is that on track? So I would say we are hopeful for summer slash early fall. Okay. Um, 
we're definitely heads down building right now. Uh, we have an amazing dev team that's working really hard. So uh, we are hoping to be on testnet very soon and actually start beta testing with um, some of the amazing projects that are very eager to get their hands on the project. Yeah, are, do you, are there any that, like are any little startups or little communities that are already planning to be, you know, early users? Is that something that's, I, I, I saw there was a, like um, there was a tweet I set aside that, you know, Radical was excited about you guys. I, I, I don't know, yeah. is, is anyone who has um, sort of said they planned it, you know, give it a spin once it's available? Yeah, definitely. Um, the stuff I've talked with Abby about on Radical is actually so, so cool. I mean, um, do you know about Radical? And I know it's like basically GitHub, but in Ethereum, and but that's probably a really dumb way of saying it. That's That's sort of as much as I know. Yeah, so it's basically um, that, you know, obviously, if you're a developer, um, GitHub is still the one that owns and controls your code, despite your, you know, account being on the GitHub repo. Mm -hmm. Um, And Radical provides, I really hope I do this justice, Uh, but Radical is basically like a decentralized GitHub. So you as the contributor actually like owns and controls your, your own code. Um, which is a really, really powerful thing. And I think um, a lot of projects in the space are really excited about um, in terms of actually having that sort of like true ownership and moving away from, you know, being dependent on like these centralized entities mm-hmm. as much as possible. Um, but Radical is um, announcing very soon and launching very soon um, Radical Orgs. So basically teams and developers can now work on um, shared repos and projects and code and all the things. Um, and we've just had like amazing conversations about what we sort of call like developer pods, um, so that you can spin up, you know, these radical orgs within the pod framework. Um, and that you again can have like this flexible, um, kind of like membership system to code bases. So Again, let's use the the Yearn example. Let's say that Yearn has a developer pod, um, and you know it's the developer pod itself that like owns the code. You know, contributors leave and join all the time, so you can kind of have this like flexible framework of um, contributors coming on and leaving the developer pod without um, Yearn ever like losing ownership and control of um, that code. Cool. Um, and so you guys feel like you might be able to plug into that, uh, later on as, as things develop. Yeah. I think it's something we're really excited about. And, you know, that's like a missing part of what we're doing with Orca, which again, like kind of points to everyone's taking on a different part of the stack is like, we're not actually figuring out like how those roles and responsibilities are actually captured. And like what Radical is doing makes that a very real possibility for developers that um, they're connecting the dots of like, okay, this like developer pod says it's a developer pod. It says it's supposed to be working on developer, but like what is actually connecting it to that? And that's what Radical makes possible. So um, it's a really, really exciting um, potential uh, framework that 
we're excited to build with Radical. Cool. Um, for folks who are listening and folks who tune in on the podcast later, um, this, uh, this show goes up roughly every Tuesday and Thursday at 9 p.m., though it's Wednesday night right now, so obviously that's loose. Um, the next one I have scheduled is actually not until... Uh, July 20th with Brayton Williams, um, uh, investor in the space, but I'll probably get a couple more for next week before long. So they'll probably still happen next week. Um, I just don't know what they are right now. Uh, but thanks everyone for being here. Um, definitely check out the podcast taping if you missed any of this. And also there's a bunch of other, uh, episodes of light bulb talks on there and also other great conversations about technology, things like social media and, you know, how tech is growing and, and all kinds of other stuff. So Spacecast's pod is a good place for all of these live conversations. Uh, thanks to all the folks who are here. Thanks a ton to Julia for, uh, for being here. And uh, I will talk to you all again next week. Have a great one. Thanks so much, Brady. Peace. Peace.